Hey listeners, it's Lauren here with another message from our friends at DraftKings. McGregor versus Poirier 3 is all set for UFC 264. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all customers at a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Look, I don't know anything about UFC. I don't even know if his name is pronounced Poirier or Poirier, but I do know that Fantasy UFC on DraftKings is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, and pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey, where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's the McGregor vs. Poirier rubber match. Get in on the action now. Download the DraftKings app and use promo code TBPN for your shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code TBPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. This is Mike Singer of the Denver Post and I'm on the NBA Beat. You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left, the Lakers have two. Bryant, to shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. After a thrilling and competitive Western Conference Finals win over the Los Angeles Clippers, punctuated by a dominant performance in the Game 6 clincher by former Clipper, point guard Chris Paul, the Phoenix Suns have officially punched their ticket to the NBA Finals for just the third time in franchise history and first time in 18 years. Just as the regular season ended, we brought Greg Esposito, a.k.a. Espo, onto the show to discuss what he termed the Phoenix Suns' Cinderella story of a season. And since the clock hasn't struck 12 on them yet, we have the pleasure of speaking with him again this episode about their magical playoff run. Without too much more preamble, I'll just let Aaron get the show started. Greg, it's good to have you back. It's kind of like nothing happened over the last six and a half weeks in Phoenix Suns country. Oh, yeah, nothing at all. It's been quite boring. I have read a bunch of books and uh, really just no basketball to talk about whatsoever. (laughs) We're a little starved for content, but we'll just get going. Last time you told us, I hope that the entire NBA gets to see and witness that evolution in the playoffs with regard to Devin Booker. The entire NBA did, especially after an excellent first two rounds and a Western Conference Finals game one for the ages, naturally his first ever Conference Finals game of his career. He went off for a triple-double, 40-13-11, carrying the Suns to a narrow but critical opening win at home. He struggled offensively since, but I think some context is warranted. There was that accidental headbutt from Patrick Beverly in Game 2, which resulted in a broken nose that required stitches and use of a mask much of the rest of the series. 
Also, Beverly was hounding him on defense. So if we take out those amazing numbers from game one, he shot 35% from the field. And this is a guy who's been closer to 50% over the last couple of seasons, which is just phenomenal when you consider the level of difficulty on his shots and all the three-pointers he takes. And he also only shot 25% from three the rest of the series with averages of 4.6 turnovers and 3.8 fouls per game. Put his recent struggles into better perspective if you can. And specifically, since the last time we talked, how has Devin Booker further grown his game? Well, the struggles, I mean, I don't know if uh, if you guys have ever broken your nose. Uh, I have actually playing basketball in high school. Thankfully not. Uh, it's not easy to uh, continue to play basketball with a busted nose. He happened to break it in three places. I'm pretty convinced he uh, probably broke it again. Uh, not that I have any inside info, but when Paul George elbowed him in the final game of the series too, uh, I'm pretty sure he re-broke it or at least re dislocated it at that point like it's not it's not easy and then the mask everything i've heard it it kills your peripheral vision which is difficult and then on top of it you've got patrick beverly performing a colonoscopy every evening of that series as well it led to a rough time for devin booker in that series but i really feel with the time off and then with the big stage of the nba finals and looking at both of the remaining teams i don't feel like there's really a defensive stopper that's going to cause that kind of annoyance to Devin Booker. I mean, maybe P.J. Tucker, who knows Devin well from his uh, Devin's rookie season here in Phoenix, but I just don't see a a defense going to cause the kind of problems that the Clippers did. So I expect a return to form for Devin Booker when it comes to the NBA Finals. But what you've seen is a, a maturation process for Devin's game. You've seen leadership. You've seen just the chance for him to finally, on the NBA's big stage, the playoffs, prove that he is not an empty calories guy. Prove that he's not, as one uh, reporter during the early part of his career called him, a looter in a riot, which was wildly inappropriate but uh, on multiple levels but uh just not true about this guy's game either and uh, it was validation of the hard work this kid's put in i mean and and he is a kid he's still 24 uh, when you think about it came into the league when he was 18 uh, on the verge of 19 and has just worked his backside off uh like nobody's business i think fans finally got to see that i don't know how much has really changed Over the last six weeks when it comes to Devin Booker, it's just the opportunity to actually showcase it uh, to eyes that aren't usually watching Phoenix Suns basketball, whether it's East Coast and the game drawn too late, or the fact that for the last four years previous to this, there was no reason to watch a Suns game if you weren't a a Suns fan. And getting to their other star, Chris Paul, Poetic justice is a phrase that comes to mind for me when you think about CP3, what he's gone through in his career at 36 in his 16th NBA season to punch his ticket into his first ever finals at Staples Center, where he called home for so many years, the site of some deflating playoff disappointments over the years during that Lob City era. Just a snake-bitten playoff history for him. Just so many untimely injuries at the worst situations like for instance in 2018 as a member of the Houston Rockets 
I don't have to remind Lauren of that. When the Rockets led the Warriors 3-2, Chris Paul strains his hamstring and has to miss the final two games. And of course, the Warriors end up taking that series. It has to be so gratifying for Chris Paul. What does this do for his legacy? And should he have even had to do this to be appreciated for how elite of a point guard he is? Well, look, you know, having grown up a a big Charles Barkley fan, I've always taken issue with the, if a guy doesn't win a championship, you have to kind of poo-poo his career and his legacy. Right. Uh, There's plenty of guys who won rings that that were along for the ride, right? Mm -hmm. Basketball is a team sport. Yeah, individuals can, can have big games, but what you're seeing with the Suns is proof yet again that Nobody wins alone, right? This this team is truly a team. And the thought that Chris Paul's legacy or his career wasn't impressive until year 16 when he finally made it to the finals just seems somewhat laughable. But that's the storyline. That's the way things are perceived nationally. And it's, it's weird to me that that's the case. But you look at it and I feel like the Suns and Chris Paul were a match made in heaven. Both snake bitten in their own ways. Both not expected to be where they are right now. Both with an opportunity to shock the world and do it together. That is the microcosm of what this year's been is people thought is Chris Paul washed, you know, on our show, uh, the sun solar panel, we had a, a guest on that said, He's not in the bathtub, but he's got one leg in there, right? Like it, it, that he's washed. And and this was before the season. It's like, okay. And a lot of people looked at the Suns and they're like, well, yeah, great. You got Chris Paul. You'll be an eighth seed and you'll be out in the first round. Congratulations. Well, they're both exceeding expectations in every way this year. And they're four wins away from hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy. Chris Paul deserves all the credit for that because he's come in and, and he's helped show these guys, the Devin Bookers of the world and everybody else, uh, the DeAndre Aytons, et cetera, how to play like a professional, how to come in and work. And we hear, oh, people don't like Chris Paul. People around the league don't like him. He's not a good teammate. No, he's a good teammate if you're willing to be taught. If you're a superstar that does not want to learn, does not want to be guided, does not want to be molded, you're not going to get along with Chris Paul. But this team was young, hungry, and wanting to learn, and that's why it's worked so well here. Yeah, it's hard not to be thrilled for him and what he's accomplished, unless you're one of those people who's been saying he's overrated, he's never going to get to the finals or whatever. But we don't need to worry about those people for now. It's a well-deserved finals appearance for him, and He's going to hope to go all the way. We'll get into that more. But more on his Herculean effort in that Game 6 clincher. 41 points, 8 assists, no turnovers, 4 rebounds, 3 steals, 16 of 24 from the floor, 7 of 8 from 3. He's also talked about finishing quarters. That's something that Phoenix struggled with in some of the games. After the Clippers cut their deficit to 7, 89-82 late in the third quarter of Game 6, and it just seemed like they had all the momentum, Chris Paul put it on himself single-handedly to go on an 8-1 run to end the quarter. And the only point for the Clippers was off of a Chris Paul technical (laughs) for taunting. 
it's been a, a tough series for him. It, it's almost fitting in a way that he had to miss a couple games because of COVID-19, given that snake-bitten injury history I referenced earlier. And he didn't really resemble himself upon returning. Starting to round into form, I think, in Game 5 and then that amazing Game 6 I just referenced. But there's been rumblings from some, probably people who don't observe the team as closely as you do, that Paul's slower pace when running the offense hurts the team and that they're at their best when Cameron Payne is running the point. How wrong was that assessment, given what he's done all season and in Game 6 in particular? Well, I think in the the series against the Clippers... It wasn't necessarily the wrong observation. The Suns had more success offensively when they moved faster. And if you look at game six, even Chris Paul ran the offense faster than than he tended to because mm-hmm. it didn't give the Clippers time to get in that half-court set to body up, to muck up the game, which was was basically Tyron Lue's uh, game plan, and that was to just muck things up, to make it physical, make it slow, make it tough to, to get DeAndre in the ball, those kind of things. The Phoenix Suns, make no doubt about it, are a significantly better team when Chris Paul is on the court. It's a lazy observation to say that otherwise, if you weren't just talking about very specifically that series and moving faster, but Chris Paul adapts his game to what's necessary when it's necessary, and he did that in game six and did it well. But your point about injuries, obviously the COVID, but what we found out after game six during the post-game interviews is Chris Paul actually has torn ligaments in his right hand. It happened How at do you go game seven three. for eight from three with torn ligaments in your hand? That's it's his shooting what I hand, too? Yes, yeah, it's his shooting hand, and it happened in wow. game three, I believe, when Paul George hacked down on him and, and hit him in the hand. He said he had an MRI earlier in the day in game six to understand what was going on in his hand, but that's a testament to this guy. He came back from COVID has torn ligaments, still found a way to drop 41-8 and eight with zero turnovers in a deciding game to send him to the finals, right? This is a guy that's hungry, that's determined, and that is ready to make that leap to be a champion. Now, there's no guarantee, obviously. There's four more wins they need, potentially seven more games when you look at it, and the Hawks or the Bucks are both very good teams, but Chris Paul is in a mode right now, as well as Devin Booker, uh, I believe. Even though that they're hurt, they're tired, they are prepared to do what it takes uh, because they understand that you don't get a lot of opportunities like this. And Chris Paul understands better than anybody because when you look at how successful his career is, and this is the first time he's he's been to a finals after 16 years, He's going to keep these guys focused and make it very clear. Yes, you're all young, you're talented, but nothing is guaranteed to any one of you. This may be your one and only shot, so don't waste it. And more of a big picture question for you on that series. We all know that it doesn't have to be pretty as long as you get the W and advance. And it really was not always pretty during that series. I think... A deep and resilient Clippers team gave them all they could handle. The Clippers ultimately seemed to be running on fumes after a a seven-game opening round against the Mavericks and then those tough six games against the Utah Jazz. The Phoenix Suns won games two and four by the slimmest of margins, 
And in game four, they won despite scoring 84 points. They hit four three-pointers all game and not a single one in the entire second half. And we know how good they are from deep. But how you get there doesn't really matter as long as you're in the finals, right? Yeah, I mean, a win's a win. Doesn't matter if it's pretty, if it's ugly, if it's one point, if it's 90 points. In the playoffs, a win is a win. I think the Suns proved in, in the series against the Clippers they can win any way possible. They can win when the refs seemingly are, are against them, like they did in Game 2 where they won on what's dubbed as the Valley Oop. They pulled that one out. It was a, a complete surprise victory, right? Nobody, if you told them 0.9 seconds left and you got the ball behind the basket and the Clippers are up one, nobody's going to think you're, you're necessarily going to pull it out. They found a way. Defensive slugfest where nobody's scoring the basketball, the Suns found a way. Just explosive offensive night, the Suns had that too. This team can win any way, anyhow, anywhere. And that's what they showed in this series, in the Lakers series. Uh, They showed how easy it can be if they're really clicking against the Nuggets. I I couldn't care less how, how they won games, right? Because they won. That really is all that matters. Yeah, you said it on your podcast, the solar panel, that they won nine in a row. They were going to face adversity at some point. It's very rare that a team just runs the table or even comes close. They swept that Nuggets team without Jamal Murray. Still a very impressive sweep. And then they won those first two games narrowly. And Ty Lue adjusted, as expected. The Clippers were a good team. They got to the conference finals for a reason. And you just... You have to punch back. You're, you're going to take some blows if you want to get to the finals. It would be shocking to expect them to just waltz into the finals just so easily. Well, yeah. I mean, nobody – well, I won't say nobody. It's some of the greatest teams may, uh, may be able to lose one or two games on, on the road to a title, sure. The Phoenix Suns are a very good team. They're not one of the greatest teams in NBA history. So yeah, they they had a hot streak that was that was crazy, and and they were gonna face adversity. They they were gonna they were gonna run into that in this playoffs, and it didn't surprise me that it came at the hands of the Clippers. That was one of the teams that everybody looked at and said, if we could avoid them, we'd prefer to avoid them in a playoff run. But if you looked at it before the playoffs, you would have said. The path you didn't want was Lakers, Nuggets, Clippers, right? And the Suns got that and they took care of business. And I was not shocked, though, that the Clippers imposed their will, that the Clippers were that irritant because that's what they were all season. I mean, even in the games uh, they played against the Suns, that was the way they were. They're the kind of team that drives you nuts. And when you play in a seven-game series you know, or six that it ultimately wound up being, it does not surprise me that it got chippy. It does not surprise me that guys got hurt and guys got thrown out of games and that there was, you know, uh, on the verge of fights at certain points. That's that's the Clippers, and they overcame it. I'm shocked it didn't go seven. I thought for sure we were going to see a seven-game series, but it just felt like it was destined for that. But the Suns, give them credit. They, they knew they had the opportunity in game six, and they shut the door. And you have to be thrilled for head coach Monty Williams, who I think is one of the 
most universally liked, universally respected guys around the league. He had a family tragedy about five years ago when his wife was tragically killed in a car accident. He was a contender, definitely a top candidate for coach of the year this season, actually received more first place votes than the winner, Tom Thibodeau, despite falling just short in points. How has he done in the playoffs leading this young Suns team? Monty's been unbelievable in this playoffs in this entire year. There is not a better human being, a better teacher, a better man that I've seen in, in the NBA in leading other other men. Again, much, very much like CP3, he's the right guy for this team. I'm not sure if he had chosen the Lakers over the Suns like, like he had uh, the option a few years ago. If his success would have been as well with uh, with a LeBron and an AD, Monty Williams is helping mold this young Suns roster in multiple ways on and off the court. And I think that's such a big factor to why he's been successful here is because these guys, again, were looking to be taught. We're looking to be be shown how to be true professionals. And Monty Williams has done that unbelievably well. There's been a couple pieces written, one by the great Gina Mizell over at Suns.com, talking about these Montyisms. You know, everything you want is on the other side of hard. Don't get happy on the farm. Some people would think they're cheesy, and others look at it and go, these are the kind of things that keep this group grounded. You know, and they bust Monty's chops about it, but they also respect it. I think that kind of epitomizes uh, him. He talked about after after Game 6 in the Clippers series when they won the West uh, about how I'm not getting down on you, I'm calling you up when I get hard on these guys, when I when I critique them. And I don't know that that works with, with a lot of veteran guys, but the Suns have the right mix that it played just perfectly. And the relationship between Monty Williams and CP3 that was forged in, in New Orleans and, and re-blossomed here in Phoenix is, is the perfect on-the-court leader, off-the-court leader mix that has transformed this franchise in, in every way, and not only in its play on the court, but their approach to the game off of it. And especially in this most recent series against the Clippers, the grinded out really slimmest of margins, as we talked about, his coaching was put to the test. What did you see from him in this series specifically that was able to lead the Suns to prevail over the Clippers? His approach, just his his demeanor, wouldn't let these guys panic. You could see that. I mean, it would have been real easy after game five and how close uh, some of those first four games were to get in their heads and go, oh, no, this might not go well, right? Uh, uh-oh, the, the Clippers have all the momentum. And instead, he came out and he said, we didn't come out with the right energy. I mean, he was very blunt about it. And he had these guys prepared in game six with with a brilliant game plan, brilliant adjustments and with the right energy and attitude. I don't know that every coach would have kept that group that has very little experience. I mean, none of these guys outside of Jay Crowder and CP3 had been to the playoffs outside of a couple fringe guys, but none of the core guys had even been to the playoffs, let alone deep in the playoffs, and it didn't matter. 
He kept these guys focused. He adjusted his game plan. He looked at things like playing Abdel Nader uh, and went, I made a mistake there. I need to go back to Torrey Craig. I need to play him major minutes. I need to have him on Paul George. I mean, game six was masterful by him in the way he adjusted and in having his guys prepared to come out and play. What do you say to the people who want to put an asterisk next to the Suns finals appearance, given that, you know, it's a shortened season with a lot of injuries. When they played the Lakers in the first round, there was an injured Anthony Davis, no Jamal Murray in the second round, and then no Kawhi Leonard playing for the Clippers. Do you want my professional response or my semi-fan response? And they're pretty close, but I guess I'll just say, boo freaking who? There's no asterisks. Does does Toronto have an asterisk because uh, because Golden State was hurt? No, people don't think about that. They just go, oh, Toronto was the champions that year. Uh, last year, because it was played in a bubble, do Lakers have an asterisk? No, they they pound their chest just like anybody. There there are injuries. There are things that happen. There's different things that that stand in teams' ways. It doesn't mean, oh, no, there's an asterisk. No, the Suns have beaten everybody that they've faced. Hands down, they've done what they've been asked to do. They can't control who's there. And, oh, they were Chris Paul had his shoulder injured against the Lakers, was out with COVID. Devin Booker has a broken nose. Things happen, and things have happened to the Suns. And in the past, the Suns, over the last 50-plus years, have been one of the most unlucky franchises in NBA history. I could not care less what the path was to get to a title. If they lift the Larry O'Brien trophy, they did what they were asked to do. They did what was in front of them, and that's all any champion ever has to do to win a league. Yeah, I agree with you. Every season, there's some key injuries that seem to play a factor. So there's no asterisk on any championship, on any finals appearance. Uh, You just play who's in front of you, like you said. I want to take us back quickly to our last interview where you had this prescient quote about Aiton, who we identified as a possible X factor in these playoffs. You said, if he takes some large step in these playoffs, watch out. That could be the difference between a second round or a Western Conference finals exit and a championship. That's how big you could see a swing if DeAndre Ayton does something special. There were some games in the Clippers series where Ayton didn't play as well, but in general, he's been really good this postseason, had some monster games, and he's managed to bounce back every time after he's had a subpar game. So how critical were his contributions in getting this team over the hump into the finals, and especially in this Clipper series, his resilience after some less than par games? Well, I'll say this. That guy you had on before uh, before the playoffs was one smart guy. Uh, I don't know who this guy you have on right now is, but uh, that guy really knew what he was talking about. But, you know, look, with DeAndre Ayton, he has evolved in this playoffs. He has become consistent where he wasn't always consistent in the regular season. He's lived up to the moment and done everything that was needed of him. I mean, Everybody will give Jay Crowder credit for the pass uh, on that final alley-oop in that Clipper series, Devin Booker setting the pick. 
But DeAndre Ayton has to time that right, has to has to make that play, and did spectacular with it. Uh, he's been the defensive stalwart that this team needs to uh, to keep uh, things afloat. I mean that that low scoring affair against the Clippers, DeAndre Ayton was a reason why the Suns' defense was so suffocating in that fourth quarter, why they were able to pull out a game that looked like it was a, a early 2000s kind of basketball game, the thing before offense was rediscovered in the league. DeAndre Ayton has proven that he is a max player in this league this playoffs, which many people would not have said uh, two months ago. DeAndre Ayton has blossomed, and it's been fun to watch here. And the reality is, the things he does best aren't the things that show up on the stat line. It's his ability to switch. It's his ability to defend at the rim. It's his ability to communicate on that defensive end and set his other teammates up for success. It's his ability to reposition guys. I mean, if you watch, there's times that he'll actually push a teammate in the right direction where they're supposed to go defensively. It's his ability on the boards to get in position. If he can't grab it, tip it to the right place, make the right move. DeAndre Ayton does the little things, and it's all come together in this playoff run. And he's the fastest number one pick, I believe, in the last 30 years to make it to the finals. I mean, that's pretty impressive what he's been able to do. He's taken his fair share of grief from Suns fans. He has taken a verbal beating from national media saying, how could you take that guy number one with, you know, 77 in Dallas over there, Luka Doncic, uh, you know, you could have had him. Look, DeAndre Ayton is a special, special basketball player, and people are getting a front row seat for it here in this playoffs. You've mentioned that iconic lob play to end game two a couple times already. Anything else you'd want to talk about that, what you were going through as someone who follows the team as a fan during that huge moment? That is one of the most surreal playoff moments I can remember as a Suns fan. Uh, there's been a handful of them. Barkley's jumper over David Robinson to beat them in the Western semis in, in 93. Rex Chapman with that crazy three-point leg kick against the Supersonics in 97. KJ over Akeem, uh, a, a dunk. You know, there's a, a Gar Hurd in, in 76. I, I wasn't alive for that one, but I've seen it since. But this play is an all-timer. I mean, you look at it, and the angle that Jay Crowder has to throw that ball in is insane. He misses, He barely gets it past the backboard if you rewatch the angle from behind him. Devin Booker, with a broken nose, decides, I'm not going to take this final shot. I'm okay with that. Instead of pulling a Scottie Pippen and crying about it, he goes, you know, I'm going to set the pick that actually frees up DeAndre Ayton to do it. Oh, and I'm going to do it against... Uh, Zubak, who's like twice my size, and I'm going to be all right with that. And then DeAndre Ayton timing that jump perfectly. And Monty Williams to have the guts uh, you know, to call that in that situation. It was unbelievable. And what made it really awesome was my wife and daughter had been out, and they were driving home, and my wife heard the call. My daughter's four, so this has been kind of the first time she's really been into basketball. 
and they rush in right to see the end of it. And my daughter was just as excited as I, I was for it. And that is the kind of thing that makes a fan for life. It's those kind of moments that solidify it. And that's what made it so cool for me was I knew there was a generation like my daughter and, and a little older than my daughter that were like me during the, the 93 run that that will be seared in their memory forever. That that may be the moment that they just decided I'm going to love basketball irrationally well into my, into my thirties and forties and fifties because I saw something that was unbelievable in the moment. That's why we all watch sports. And that's what I loved so much about that play. And the other guy in the front of that play, Jay Crowder, he had a streaky series, but he turned it on when needed. 19 points in the series clincher, which included some huge threes. In games two through five, he struggled a bit on the box score, but was still making some good contributions for the team. Uh, the lob that we've talked about, of course. This is his second straight finals appearance. How much does a guy like Jay Crowder mean to the Suns? Oh, he's huge. I mean, he's one of those guys that is a defensive stalwart, uh, can hit those big shots. Yes, he's streaky as all get out. If you look at the Lakers series and the Clippers series, he's all over the place. And that was kind of the case with the shooting all season long. And you're all right with that because he's also a verbal leader, an emotional leader. It uh, makes the right plays like we saw with that pass. Uh, you just hope when it comes to uh, the finals that he's hot, at least for, for part of it, and he doesn't go go into one of his shooting slumps. But he's been immense for the, the growth and the change of this team. And the fact that he was a guy that Chris Paul, and Jay was talking about this not too long ago, that Chris Paul called when he decided to go to Phoenix and said, you got to come here with me. Like you have to, and everybody looked at him like he was crazy. And uh, I guess he's the one that gets the last laugh as he's uh, in his second finals in as many years. The cams, Payne and Johnson were huge, again, in such a hotly contested series. Walk us through what each of those guys brought to the team when they needed it most. Well, campaign, a guy that if you go back and look at some of the quotes when he was with Chicago, unnamed sources within the team were saying he's not even an NBA player. We knew it from the first practice. Well, guess what? This guy's worked his his backside off and proven it. I mean, his one-year anniversary with the team was the day that they clinched the West, and he was literally playing in China. They got him off off the scrap heap is what it, what it basically amounts to. And the only reason they invited him in, or, well, the reason they had a spot to invite him in was because Ricky Rubio had COVID going into the bubble. Monty Williams has a relationship with him that they had established, and, and Monty saw something in him and said, hey, I want you to come here. Without that moment, they're probably not in this moment because campaign with Chris Paul out stepped up in a big way. He's been the perfect change of pace when they take Chris Paul out and and when they play him even next to Chris Paul. Uh, he's just been the kind of guy you want coming off your bench. He has been just one of the constants for this team. You could pencil him in. You knew you were going to get good minutes from him. And then in the Clippers series, he took it to another level. 
he just showcased what he can do. It's great, but it's also unfortunate because he's going into free agency and he may have priced himself out of coming back to Phoenix, but I feel for him because he, he was unbelievable and is getting the attention that he deserves. And then Cam Johnson, this kid has started, he's come off the bench, he's done anything that's been asked of him. And he comes through. And originally, he was just viewed as, oh, he's a guy that can shoot really well. Coming out of UNC, oh, he's a three-point specialist. This kid's got grit. Cuts to the hoop, does these, does the little things, it can get the boards that you need. He's a more complete player than was advertised. And I'll be the first to admit, the night that they drafted him on our show, we were like, who the hell is this guy? Because he wasn't projected <laughs> uh, in, the top, uh, in the top 12 in the draft. He was projected as a late first rounder, and he went uh, in the early lottery, and it caught a lot of us off guard, uh, especially a lot of us who, like, and I'll admit it, I'm one of the first to admit it, I'm not a big college basketball guy, but a lot of a lot of Suns fans felt the same way, and this kid has come in, and nobody's asking who Cam Johnson is now. We all know, and we all see the potential of where his game can go, and he's another guy. This is a complete team, 1 through 12. This is a very, very solid roster. James Jones, putting it together, knew that you can either build by having two or three mega stars and filler, or you can have one or two really good stars and a real team behind them. Depth that you any given night, you can plug and play guys when you need to. Yeah, He went that way because that's his kind of game. That was what he was. He was one of those guys that would do anything in his career and would come in and play. Cam Johnson's very much in that mold. Cam Johnson is not going to be the star, but he's going to be the guy that does the little things that get you a win. He's going to be the guy that the stars recognize as, that's a guy why we won a game. That's a guy why we're a contender. That's a guy that does the things that we need. And mm-hmm. I have very much fallen in love with Cam Johnson's game and and really appreciate what he does for this team. Before I move over to some of the more unlikely heroes, I do want to just provide a little bit more color on the Cams. So Cam Johnson in his first ever NBA postseason, he is doing phenomenally, so consistent. 51% from the field, 45% from three through 15 playoff games. In the Clippers series specifically, he shot 63% from beyond the arc and over 70% from the floor. He missed game six with illness, but hopefully we'll be back soon. And then campaign in that game two victory that they won by a single point, he dropped 29-9-2-2. And I think that's all that really needs to be said about him. A couple of the more unlikely heroes, Torrey Craig and Dario Saric. So Saric played just eight minutes in game six, but he hit two threes in a row at a really critical stretch when uh, Phoenix's second quarter lead was vanishing really quickly. So it was 35-33. Then his two threes helped lead a 10-2 run that expanded the lead back to 10. So that was really critical. But if you blinked your eyes, you missed his eight minutes in the game, but they were huge. And then Torrey Craig only scores three points in 30-plus minutes, but Paul George was negative 25, worst on the team, and Torrey Craig was the best plus-minus on his team at plus 28. Per Evan Sidery, 
Paul George shot just three of 12 with two turnovers in the series when guarded by Torrey Craig. That was a, an excellent adjustment by Monty Williams. I know a lot of people, including yourself, were clamoring for Torrey Craig to get more minutes earlier in the series. But those guys, I think that just speaks to what you were arguing for how deep this team is and how it's just the next man up mentality. Yeah, Sarge is an interesting case. Uh, we have a joke on the show that it's that Stario, and you just kind of shrug because <laughs> uh, in the same eight-minute span, he can hit two threes, get a big rebound, and then look like Bambi on the ice after after Bambi's born on the defensive end. It's, it's a very bizarre thing. We love and, and despise uh, Dario Saric all in, all in the same moment as Suns fans, but he did come up big with those threes and they wouldn't win. wouldn't have won that game without him. And then, you know, Torrey Craig is a guy that was an afterthought at the trade deadline. Everybody went, Oh, okay. Well, the Suns spent $130,000 and they got a guy that probably won't even be in the rotation. Right. He has come in and has done so much more than anybody expected. I mean, we joke that cash considerations here in Phoenix was somebody that that we've traded for, you know, on on numerous bases. You know, we uh, so we joke that you know cash considerations died for this, and we we salute cash considerations because of without Tory Craig, this team isn't in the finals, and uh, his defense was completely series shifting in game six without the kind of defense that he played without what he was able to do in those minutes that cam johnson couldn't fill because of illness he stepped up in in one of the biggest ways possible and he may get you know double revenge this playoffs obviously denver was where he played uh, before this season they didn't want him back so he signs with milwaukee Milwaukee trades him for cash considerations at the deadline, and now he's already eliminated Denver, and he may have a shot at helping knock out the Bucks as well. It's a, it's a fun little sub-story to the larger plot of what's going on here in Phoenix. At the time we're recording this, the Bucks are leading that series in the Eastern Conference 3-2 to over the Atlanta Hawks. Game 6 is Saturday, and Game 7, if needed, is scheduled for Monday. Between Milwaukee and Atlanta, both of whom are a little bit or a lot banged up right now, which prospective opponent do you think Phoenix matches up better with? And also, I guess, which opponent do you expect to see in the finals? Well, I mean, if you look at the record uh, in recent years against, and I know it's tough, but you know, even this year, Suns don't fare as well against Atlanta. They've had a lot of success against Giannis and the Bucks. It may sound counterintuitive because Atlanta has you know less stars on the roster, if you will. I, I feel a little bit better about a matchup with Milwaukee, especially if Giannis is limited, or I mean, definitely if he's out. I just I don't think Atlanta is as favorable as a, as a matchup as Milwaukee is for this Suns team. And in the end, I think that's what we're going to get to. Uh, Milwaukee has Atlanta on the ropes. If you look at it, if Trey Young isn't back and isn't close to 100% for Atlanta, I just don't see that roster being better than uh, what the Bucs can can put out there in game six. Uh, obviously, home court 
uh, you know, in game six for Atlanta. But in the end, Milwaukee gets to go home for a game, game seven, even if they lose uh, on Saturday. So I tend to think it's going to be Milwaukee Phoenix, which is a battle of the two teams that came into the league in 1968, a battle of two teams that, uh, Fought it out for the coin toss for Lou Alcindor, uh, obviously uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar later on, and uh, that moment is what Suns fans look at as what the you know quote unquote the curse in Phoenix was, and that that would have changed the landscape of of the NBA if Kareem had wound up in Phoenix. Probably never winds up a Laker. So there's all sorts of of interesting plot lines as to why I think Milwaukee's the more more interesting group to to take on the Suns, and I want to see if Giannis can play. Mikhail Bridges against Giannis, DeAndre Ayton against Giannis. Uh, earlier in this year, Giannis had a chance to hit a game winner against the Suns and missed it. There's all sorts of interesting things. Mike Budenholzer is from Arizona and coached uh, high school basketball in Arizona, was one of the candidates for the Suns job. Uh, I believe when Igor Kokoshkov actually got it, he was the initial front runner for the job. So there is just so many storylines that'll make for an interesting NBA Finals. And you might get a possible cash considerations revenge game against the Suns too. Like- <laughs> <laughs> he he may have to start if uh, if Giannis is still injured. It may be uh, cash considerations at the forward spot for Milwaukee. Yeah. This will be the last question. Thank you so much for your time, Espo, as always. But now that the Suns have won three playoff series, are there any question marks still remaining on the team? And what is their biggest vulnerability that they'll have to overcome on their quest for a championship? Themselves? You saw it in Game 5 of the Clippers series. Uh, If they aren't in the right mindset, things can get a little wonky. And uh, they need to continue to be hungry, continue to not buy into their own press clippings, understand that they have to go out there and impose their will. At times in the Clippers series, they were timid, which is not the way uh, the Suns team has been all year. But at times they found their way into that. They let the Clippers be the aggressor rather than them being the aggressor. Whether it's Atlanta or Milwaukee, that's going to be the biggest vulnerability for the Suns is can they mentally stay locked in to win four games? I think they can. I think they've proven it, but they have to work hard. And like I said, I mentioned this quote that Monty Williams says, not get happy on the farm because, and I add this part, if you get happy on the farm, that's when you're going to get slaughtered. I mean, that's just the truth of it. And and that's going to be the, the thing that if the Suns hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy, it's because they stayed focused. And I don't think either of the teams left are better than the Suns when they're focused and playing hard team defense. Is the relative inexperience at all a concern anymore? Or do you think through this postseason, they've uh, adequately been battle tested and proven that that's not a concern anymore? Yeah, I'm I was never a believer in it being a major concern anyways. I actually think sometimes inexperience is is a benefit because you don't have the scars of the past to get in your head and go, oh, "No, here we go again." Or, "Uh-oh, what you, sometimes young and dumb is a a thing that is is good because you don't know 
the trials, the tribulations, the reasons that you should be scared, you can go in and you can be confident. And I think this this roster has done that, has proven themselves, have has been tried uh, in numerous ways in this playoffs. I mean, uh, you know, injuries and and weirdness and and, and long breaks between between games and uh, you know just all sorts of things. I mean, they held their composure. Uh, there could have been a in total brawl in game six when Patrick Beverly shoves uh, Chris Paul and everybody would have been like, well, there's inexperience. Yeah, young guys, they got fired up and, and they started a fight. Now X, Y, and Z is suspended for game one of the NBA finals. They held their composure. They held their composure when Patrick Beverly was dancing and and making fun of CP3 after he undercut him. They held their composure when the Lakers in game three uh, start clowning around when they're up big and take the two to one lead and they come back and they they jack stomp them and win three straight games. This this team has experienced the ups and the downs in in this first year in the playoffs together. And I don't think that is a factor going into the NBA finals because if you look at it, not one of the uh, one of the players left in the playoffs have won a title. So it's not as if they're going up against uh, people that have done this before. Everybody's gonna gonna be fairly new to uh, to this going into the finals. Espo, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You always bring the passion. Good luck to you and the Suns in the finals. And thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, I mean, you guys make it easy. You you bring the the great questions and the. Uh, and the stats, and that is uh, that's half the battle on these kind of things. So I'm always happy to bring the passion as long as you guys bring the professionalism and, uh, and keep doing what you guys do best. <laughs>